up, everyone? We're back for another episode of the CJ McCollum Show. It is currently Wednesday, October 18th. We had some technical difficulties as we tried to record in Orlando with some terrible, terrible Ritz-Carlton Grand Lakes Wi-Fi, uh, bottom five Wi-Fi I've ever experienced. And I've been in some tough places, haven't attended Lehigh University. I've been to some tough, tough places in terms of hotels. And for the Ritz to be... That bad in terms of Wi-Fi um, was was very surprising. But here we are on Wednesday recording. Preseason is officially over for the New Orleans Pelicans. I am back home finally after you know being in Alabama, being in Atlanta, and being in Orlando for preseason. Um, all fine cities, um, if you ask me. However, last year we had two games in Miami, which you know is never a bad thing. Um, but in terms of expectations, in terms of thoughts, in terms of how I'm approaching this as a player in his 11th season, preseason is for conditioning, it's for camaraderie, it's for um, that togetherness, that understanding of you going through the struggle again, um, two-a-days, long practices, being sore, figuring out spacing, all those things, uh, I believe is for preseason. And and then the coaches just trying to figure out rotations, substitution patterns, who's in shape, who's not in shape, who's a great spacer, who's not a great spacer, who plays well together. I think those are um, things that coaching staffs have historically looked at and things that we look at as players, uh, which is also pretty cool. But I think my favorite part about preseason is when it ends. Um, so <laughs> when coach told us we were going to play 20 minutes, um, and that last time out came, we all looked at each other and just smiled with relief because it is a grind. It is fun. It is a blessing to be able to play this game. But you also know how quickly your fortunes can change from injuries to just something happening to where you want to go into the season as healthy and as fresh as possible. And historically, we've had issues with injuries. So we're just thankful to be able to get through you know, the preseason. Most of us, we obviously got some guys banged up, but we were able to get through the preseason, learn a lot about ourselves, finally put some sets in, did some things to where we could get a a realistic look at what our offense could look like. And I think for me now, it's just about getting through this last week, tightening things up, getting some lifts in, some stability in, watching film with the staff, watching film with players, watching film with our starting five to figure out what sets we're going to like to run, the pace of everything, the motion of everything, where Z likes the ball at, where BI likes the ball at, where Block JV likes the, the ball at, talking about our defensive substitution patterns, defensive of, of coverages, all those things, I think, is what we're going to kind of work on and hone in on um, during this rare opportunity to have six days before a game, which means long practices and things of that nature. But I'll take it. Um, six days. Like being the uh, president of the Players Association, did you like uh, negotiate that you guys get to stop your preseason games early? Because, I mean, I think some teams even have two more games on their schedule. I think... <laughs> You know, the basketball gods have looked out for us um, mm -hmm. this season. You know, not too many teams are fortunate enough to go to Alabama and Atlanta and Orlando in the preseason. So I think, you know, with that in mind, um, it's only right that since we played Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, that we get a few days off to, to rest, a few days off to recover, a few days off to practice, get better. I mean, you look at the way we lost a couple of those preseason games. It's good that we have this time. Uh, although it is the preseason, you want to correct things. You want to learn from mistakes. You want to be able to better 
position yourself uh, for success, especially with how hard our season is to start schedule wise. We start mm-hmm. off with Memphis. We got the Warriors. We got the Knicks. We got really good teams who have played together probably longer than our starting five have, considering the fact that our starting five haven't played together since what last November. Yeah, and like ten games basically together. I mean, you but you played okay. You said eleven years. Typically, the vets don't play that many games. You played four games. How, do, how I mean, how do you, you I like? Did. Is it just feeling the feeling discussion with Willie? It was like we need to get as much run in these uh, um, rehearsals as possible. I think I set the precedent. So if I don't play, then I think it it trickles mm-hmm. down to everybody else in terms of the mentality of the preseason, in terms of sense of urgency. Is it important? Camaraderie, togetherness, cohesiveness. We haven't played together a lot in general. So whether we play well or not, it's beside the point. You want to just get reps out there on the court together, figure out rotations together, figure out play calls together, or just struggle together. Sometimes that's good too, because it it forces you to have to communicate. It forces you to have to talk through things. It forces you into uncomfortable positions because at some point, our feet are going to be held to the fire this season, right? Whether you like it or not, you're going to have a bad loss or something's going to occur to where... You have to talk. You have to communicate. You have to be able to figure some things out without the coaches. And playing in the preseason, struggling some in the preseason, coaches really not giving us play calls early on in the season so that we can just kind of figure out our own. I think it's important because we will have plays we can rely upon. We can obviously rely upon our skill, Z, B-I, J-V, myself. But you want to be able to have that understanding where I look at you and you know exactly what I'm thinking. And the only way you get to that point is by playing games together. So that's that's why I played. The conditioning was great. Uh, missing or making shots, turning the ball over. You just get used to the pace, the flow, the spacing. All those things kind of come together. But I think it was really good for us to just get quality time out there, regardless of the result. You want to you get as much time on the court as you can with your starters when they haven't played a lot together. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, I don't know if it feels like this to you, but I finally feel like this preseason and maybe a little bit last preseason last year too, is that like we're finally put on the, uh, on the right schedule again. It just, you know, we're, it took a while to recover from the COVID years and the bubble and, you know, starting the season so quickly after um, fit, finishing uh, in September in, in 2020. And then um, guys, you know, playing in empty arenas and it, it's, it feels like, 10 years ago and also just last year, um, all at the same time. So I feel like, um, this preseason, like it, there's like a normalcy to it and almost like, um, a, a lot of excitement, obviously looking ahead to the, um, in-season tournament. Like there's just a little bit more hype and a lot, a lot, a lot of games on national TV, um, and, you know, I, I think people are ready. I, I do want to ask you, though, about like preseason etiquette, um, because, you know, we saw um, Dylan Brooks, who's uh, now in Houston, <laughs> um, oh, you know, deliver that low blow um, and some charges taken. Like, I know everyone's trying to like mm-hmm. iron out the kinks, knock some rust off. But like, like what? are the unwritten rules. Like you mentioned, like, uh, if I don't play, then it trickles down. So there's that kind of, you know, um, circumstance. But like, in terms of playing, are it, like, are we out there playing like all-star level effort? Or like, what's the uh, overall understanding of the etiquette during preseason? I think that's a part of the problem, 
right? Because if you don't play hard, there's higher risk of injury. But also, if you're not on the same page, things can happen on accident, right? So I think it's playing hard but playing smart. I wouldn't say that any team is playing like it's the playoffs because it's not. And it's hard to kind of simulate that. Your body's getting used to game flow. Your body's getting used to playing at night again, having that routine of shoot around, practice, treatment, lift, whatever you do before the game, then playing in the game. But then you're of the mindset that you know you're on a minute restriction depending on the positioning and in, in, in where your status is within the organization. So it's with that in mind, you're making all your decisions. Like, okay, I know I got a six-minute stint here. Let me go hard for six minutes. Let me kind of pick my spots. But to answer your question in terms of etiquette, I think players do communicate like at the free throw line. Are you going? No, nah, I'm not going. Okay. Yo, I'm boxing you out here. Don't don't do nothing crazy here. Like <laughs> you you it's it's safety first. You wanna play hard, but you're not trying to hurt nobody and you don't want nobody hurting you on a free throw box out, like you jump, so you land on somebody's foot. Like something, like a freak incident. So you have those types of communications, but everybody's playing hard because if you don't play hard, that is when things can occur. But you know, it's hard that- to also have that understanding from veteran players to like the young yeah. guys. You know, for instance, like the Clippers ran out their um, whole starting five for the first half against a Nuggets team that basically, you know, didn't have any of their starters or rotation players. Um, same thing with, you know, the Boston game versus New York. Um, and so, like, when you have young guys trying to prove themselves versus like veterans who, you know, isn't that the definition of a veteran? You, like, you, experience you you know what to do uh, it's these guys these young guys trying to get into the rotation they're like that's a uh, that's a tough dynamic as well it is and they're supposed to play hard everyone is you're supposed to die for loose balls take charges do all those things because you're trying to carve out a name for yourself you're trying to get minutes and you're trying to prove that you belong a, a part of the rotation so i don't i don't ever discourage people from playing hard i think Far too often we read too much into the preseason. It's like it's like reading in to uh, a team that that does really great on one road trip. Right. It's like wow, look how great that road trip was. It's like there's 75 games left. Like relax, 80 games left. I think there's a lot of teams that go undefeated in the preseason, but no one remembers it once the season starts. No one really cares. And I think it's care. about developing habits. It's about playing hard and executing. And the coach is trying to figure out what plays they might want to run, how they might want to rotate younger guys, what younger guys need to work on certain things, what veterans may need to work on certain things. I think that's the mindset. And you want to see practice habits transition to game habits, um, the the good parts of it, if you will. Well, you, you've had a chance to watch some of the, like the the young stars in your your games um, mm-hmm. this preseason, both in Orlando, um, with a couple guys who, who who made some noise last year. With you know, obviously rookie of the year Paolo Bencaro and Franz Wagner, um, Anthony Black, their new their new um, rookie, and then Houston, um, you know, uh, under new head coach uh, Ime Udoka, um, you got a Men Thompson part of the Thompson brothers and, you know, Jabari Smith Jr., um, former number one pick. How, how, what, among those uh, young guys, you know, who, who stood out to you the most? And, and, you know, what were your takeaways of from, like, this next generation of players? 
Yeah, I'll start with Orlando because we played them twice. So I got to see them in two different environments, right? On the road versus at home. First game versus last game of the preseason. And right away, Franz Wagner looks really good. Um, Decision-making, ability to shoot, physicality around the basket, pivoting, skill set. He's tall. Um, the way they play, he's going to be very, very impactful. Obviously, they got Paulo, um, who can score, who's a man-child. Um, mm. Fultz is a great passer, big guard, gets into the lane. They have quality talent, but I was really impressed with how he looked consistently. I was impressed with him last year as well, a guy who can score in a, in a variety of ways, shoots the ball extremely well. Um, looking at <clears throat> Anthony Black, guarded him some, tall guard, still obviously figuring the game out, still very young, but I loved his college highlights. Um, pace, running the pick and roll, finish around the basket, nice midi. Um, was was interesting to see. Uh, Bancero, bon, Bancero. Oh, Bancero, but I call him Bancero on, bon on, on, on draft night. So we, <laughs> you live and you learn. Bancero is yeah. ahead of his time in terms of skill set, strength, physicality, footwork, uh, mid-range score. He's a he's a, a throwback player, if you will, that could play in multiple. I say he could play in multiple um, generations, whether that's today and back in the day, I like his skill set a lot. I think their future is extremely, extremely bright, and they're well coached. And yeah, Jamal Mosley, like I, you know, he's salt of the earth. So big Mosley fan. Seriously, okay. Well, look, I mean, the wet magic. I think there's still a ways to go, but they yeah. have the talent, um, and led by Paolo. So Rockets, how do you, how are you feeling about them? I would say, well, first of all, they beat the brakes off of us. So kudos yeah. to them and 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 how well. And hard they're playing with Ime and, and some of the additions. Obviously, Dylan Brooks, we talked about him. Um, Fred Van Fleet, they got some OGs yeah. in that team with um, Jeff Green. So they're learning, growing, evolving. I'm gonna Champions. start with Cam. I'm gonna start with Cam Whitmore because hmm. he's so athletic, so skilled. He kind of fell in the draft. Sky's the limit for him. Not sure how much he'll play this year with their rotation and stuff, but like the kid got game. He can go. Loved his energy and all of those things. I think Singoon skill set. I've seen some of the, the Joker comparisons because, you know, obviously he's a Euro style big that can pass, that can shoot, that can score. He's skilled. Very skilled. He's, they, they're going to be able to play through him some, which is really cool. They like cool. him. They like him there in Houston. They I like him too. Yeah. I see why they like him. The Thompson twin is just freak, freak athlete, can finish around the basket, can pass, uh, not afraid to attack the rim. He had a nasty baseline, you know, reverse dunk on us or you could just see the glimpses of he screams i'm going to be very good and then i like the growth that i've seen from jamari jabari smith jr he showed a face-up game he showed a catch and shoot three finish around the basket uh he was poised you could tell he's been in the weight room some took advantage of his summer uh i think he's he's gonna have a really good year he's gonna grow a lot playing with fred and you know having a coach and coaching staff that is gonna challenge you empower you i think is gonna be really important and i think i think Sometimes you have to go through, you know, difficult times in terms of losing, in terms of frustration in order to really grow. And I think that this young Rockets team is really, really growing up um, in a hurry. And I think they're going to surprise a lot of people in the West this year. I hope they don't surprise too many people, right? Because I'm in the mm -hmm. West. But mm -hmm. I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams um, They're going to give everybody, you know, a fight. I Absolutely. feel like it's not going to be, you know uh, – 
don't don't have Houstonitis when you go when you go and play there. Can you elaborate on what you what you mean by Houstonitis, please? <laughs> just just, just uh, same thing as when you go to Miami. I'll just leave it at that. Are you comparing <laughs> Miami and Houston? As similar? I mean, those in the know may even sometimes put Houston over Miami, but I don't. I you know, it's not the majority of people. Um, depends on, I guess, what you like. Uh, <laughs> So I I I am really interested to see how uh Ime is going to make his mark because what we saw um his, his season with the Celtics is that like he's not scared to challenge people and I think a lot of these young players um you know like there's a discipline to the NBA and I think um Ime is uh I I'm interested to see how he kind of gathers this team and, and impacts their their professionalism, especially with guys, like you said, champions like Fred Van Vliet and um Jeff Jeff Green in that locker room. Um they they may they may be onto something there. So I'm excited to see uh what Houston can do. I I think a lot of people are really excited to see what Wembenyama is going to do in the regular season because he already has a bunch of oohs and ahs um, from the, from the preseason. I know, um, I was in studio, you know, on last Friday when they played the heat. Now, granted, no one, uh, no rotation players and starters. Um, I had to correct myself because I think I said that on the heat, (laughs) on the highlight. I said, no one was playing for the heat, but there was people playing. So let me not be disrespectful. Um, but there were no, uh, starters or rotation players, but Wembenyama like put on an absolute, like show um did you were you able to see that game or any highlights and you know like what are you feeling when you watch him because I think a lot of people keep saying he is doing things that they've never seen on a basketball court and I don't know if that's hyperbole or not I think you see greatness you see untapped potential you see some potential being tapped into with his Fluidity, movement on the court, versatility defensively. Seeing a play where he got beat off the dribble, the guy had what looked to be a clear layup, and he went and got it, you know, at the top of the square. So that showed you recovery, ability to guard in space, and his ability to either alter shots or block them is super, super impressive. I seen him initiate the offense, throw a pass, point up, catch it, and dunk it in mid stride in what appeared to be a normal pass, not a lob. He just turned it into a lob. And then I seen him bring the ball up, go like between, between, step back, slight fade away, and didn't need to fade away. It looked like a drill move that he just practiced over and over again, and it was just so fluid. I thought to myself, this all translates. He's still learning the game, still getting stronger. Pop's not really calling plays or running plays for him, and he's still figuring out how to be impactful in the game. I think that's the sign of of greatness. That's a sign of a really good player when – they just figure out how to score. You don't have to run sets for them. You just put them out there and then they figure out, you know, spacing. They figure out locations on the floor. They figure out how to get it off the glass. And this, this kid is, he's Seven everything. Four. Seven he's, four running point out there. He's everything they advertised him more. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to, that's going to be like an interesting challenge for, um, for pop too. It's like how. I mean, Women Yama was talking a lot about how, like, he likes to change, you know, uh, just his style play throughout the game um, and just kind of, like, 
point guard by committee is what they're going with. Um, and I think that's just like, no one's expecting them to win the NBA championship this year. I think they're just expecting to, you know, try to figure out how they can get the most out of Wimbenyama and, um, his teammates as well. He made, he made a comment after the, the game, how like, you know, he's used to his teammates not knowing how to play with him, but he, you know, now with the Spurs and playing in the best league in the, in, in the world, um, that, you know, he can, he, he, he feels a lot more comfortable with his teammates here. Um, and kind of they're finding a flow and how to, how to work off each other. Um, I, we'll see. I have that game, uh, opening week against, um, Dallas. So it's going to be interesting just like how hard guys go up against him, but he was so in terms of like just the, the hype around him, like we haven't seen him play in a regular season game yet, but you know, ESPN came out with their NBA ranks and he is uh number 47. Um, I think Kenyon Martin got real senior, got really mad that uh, <laughs> when Yama was ranked higher than Russell Westbrook, who came in at like 94. Um, he's like, this guy has never wow. even played a game uh, yet in the NBA and he's ranked higher than Russell Westbrook. Like, I mean, what's going on? Um, so we, so clearly Kenyon Martin senior cares, but like, do you active players care about, you know, the NBA ranks? I mean, you, you made the top 50, you're 44. Um, so you're, you know, you're just ahead of, uh, of Victor Wembenyama with, you know, 11 years experience on him. Um, do you feel like that was like a fair rank for you? I think, I think players definitely care. First and foremost, I'll say they do because it's you being critiqued on your job, on your craft by people who are supposed to be knowledgeable, by people that are supposed to be experts and are supposed to study and watch the game. The problem is <laughs> supposed to. I love how you just dropped to. this supposed the to. The problem is sometimes we have bias as humans, right? And we take other things into account that may not have anything to do with basketball. We take other things into account that may just be. You like apples. I like oranges. It doesn't mean the apple's better than the orange. It just means that that's your preference. And I think sometimes that happens. And then I think other times we realize the power of social media and we want people to, to discuss it. We want people to click on it and we want people to critique it because that creates engagement in a discussion. And I think sometimes all those things come together to help formulate the list, which can become problematic. But players absolutely do care. They'll say that they don't care and that it doesn't matter. But deep down, like, it has to matter if you care about your sport. You may not be involved or invested in it. Like, I'm not overly invested in what these people think about me because I think highly of myself and I hold myself to a high standard. And I know what I'm capable of and I'm looking forward to having a great season. Um, but I think players certainly look at the list. They certainly see who's on the list and that may be in front of them or behind them. And you make up judgments in your own head. Like, for somebody like Russ to be that low, I think is, you know, it's – it's difficult to digest. Like, yeah, Kyrie then, had a had something to say on Twitter. So, I mean, we like know you guys pay attention. Is there attention. forty guys better than Kyrie? Like, I guess it. I mean, what are you? It, it's it's all, you know, in terms of perspective of how you're ranking it. You know, it, it, it's also you think about the end of the year awards. Like this, the rank doesn't matter. This is this this is for like for us to talk about, for, for people to just have conversations to hype up the season. Right. But 
you know, when we think about end of year awards and all MBA and MVP and how people are basing that, you know, whether it's like even analytics, like even if you put out all of the numbers and compare there, it's depending on what you value. So to your point, it's, you know, I mean, it's a flawed system in the, in the, in the sense that humans are flawed, but, um, you know, like this MBA rank is just, doesn't really matter in the long term. But when it, when you think about, you know, end of year awards, like how, how do you view that voting system? I think there's flaws in all of it. I think it's unfair for media members to decide the fate of players. I think it's unfair. It puts them in a tough spot because mm. no matter how many games you guys watch, we all have a natural bias. And sometimes there is no right answer. Like picking an MVP last year, it's a coin flip. It's like yeah. JoJo is really good. Joker is really good. Giannis is really good. Like there's no wrong answer. You know what I mean? So that's a tough spot. And that MVP triggers a bonus. That All-NBA triggers a bonus. Oh, that, yeah. That changes people's lives and the amount of money they can make. And I think it's it's tough to put that in the position of a media member to have to decide that fate. So it's it's hard. And everybody's trying their best. Everybody cares. Everybody generally is handling it the right way. But I do think it should be public. Um, I do think we Which should- it is. We should know who's voting for who, and it should be up to the media member to, to their discretion to explain why they voted for who they voted for. But I think to just generally say first team, second team, third team, all NBA, what is the criteria? Everybody's voting criteria is different, and that's what makes it very difficult to digest because like you might be an analytics person. Somebody else might be an eye test person. Somebody mm -hmm. else may be a, well, what did you do? In for games that mattered, what did yeah. you do for the team? And then yeah. some, some people may say uh, MVP is it most valuable player for that team or most valuable player in general. Right. Take Bron off the Lakers and put him on this team. Like people are right. trying to do those types of right. simulations. Did you, like with Russell Westbrook, did you achieve something that no one has achieved before ever? You know, right. like there's, there, there's, there's, uh, this is, but this is the league though, you know, like right. um, the league is, there's, it, it there is analytics, but it also is, it, it it's storylines. It's you know like mm -hmm. who, who's making headlines, how like who's garnering the attention of uh, of fans and and the league in general. So right. um, I think so. That's a, a a bit of it to you know in terms of like the ESPN NBA, NBA rank and to, like the people who are supposed to uh, be following the league and deciding that. Um, I think a guy who has had a lot of different storylines surrounding him is uh, Ben Simmons. And, you know, he came in at 76 on that NBA rink. Like the last couple of years, I mean, we didn't see him really play last year. Um, but, you know, like I think there's a lot of excitement around him to see if he can have a bounce back year with with Brooklyn. And so far, he he looks like the all-star Ben Simmons in, in preseason, if you will. Like, do you expect a bounce back season for him? And, you know, what do you think that can do for, for Brooklyn, you know, as a franchise? Um you know, going forward. I think Brooklyn's going to be really good. They got a lot of assets, a lot of players. Obviously, Mikel, Cam, Ben is healthy. They got a, a very mobile big who was basically in position for defensive player of the year, and then Katie and him left, and people kind of forgot how good he was defensively. 
Uh, I think Ben's had some time to get healthy. I think he had some back issues. He's had some time to get his mental health in order and, and right and stable after what what appeared to be on the outside a rocky situation in Philly, especially with how everything ended um, in Philly. But health matters and your mind matters. And when those thing, two things are in line, it's easier to perform at a high level. And I think the rest, the recovery, the distance from the sport, him kind of being away from the sport for a little bit, I think it is allowed for that love to, to fester again and for his body to actually meet, you know, what he wants to accomplish. Because, you know, when you want to do something, but you physically aren't able, it's tough. It's difficult. And now he's moving, you know, like the Ben Simmons of old, even though he's only like, what, 25 or 26. Right. He's he's moving really well. He seems to be confident in his jump shot. He's making highlight plays. Ben Simmons a few years ago wasn't dunking. He wasn't really finishing around the basket. He wasn't getting his feet dirty in the paint. He wasn't playing like his normal self. So you knew something was off and it was more than just, you know, mental. It looked like physically something was off Mm -hmm. because of the movement patterns, the speed, the explosiveness, the confidence. When you're battling injuries or things of that nature, you're not as explosive. You're not as confident around the basket. And you tend to shy away from things that you would normally do because you don't feel like you're physically capable. And I think he battled some of those things. But now it looks like it looks like the training wheels are off and that he's back to highlight plays defensively being aggressive, being in the passing lanes. He looks thin, um, muscular, but then like basketball shape um, and ready to go. And I think he's hungry. He's hungry to prove people wrong. He's hungry to, to help provide this organization with that boost that they desperately need to be successful in, in that New York market. And I, I wonder if, you know, the pressure surrounding the team he's on is helping him kind of gain some more confidence because obviously when he was with the 76ers, it was a win now around Joel Embiid, help him, you know, win an MVP, let's win a NBA championship. And then he's gets traded and he's on a team with KD. And it's just like the pressure of, of, of making sure that he's performing so they can, win the championship. I wonder if just like Brooklyn not having as much pressure on them this year is going to help him kind of get over a hump that maybe he needs to, to kind of open up his game again. So um, I'm excited. I like Mikhail and, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie on that team as well. Um, you know, I, I think, I think they could be fun. Maybe like a league pass team to watch for sure. I wanted to just like ask you about, you know, there's all these surveys that come out um, heading into the regular season, kind of like the ESPN rank, things to talk about as we preview the year. And there was an NBA GM survey that came out and it was a bunch of questions that the GMs answer. And there was one question was, which active player would make the best head coach someday? And I'm surprised that you weren't on this list because, you know, you're just a natural leader. Um, I mean, like, what don't you do in terms of, like, taking on responsibility on and off the court? But um, they had Chris Paul at one, Mike Conley and Garrett Temple uh, tied for two, TJ McConnell, Drew Holiday, Fred Van Vliet rounding out, like, the, f- mm-hmm. the five. But your teammate... Um, Jose Alvarado also received some votes. What do you think about Jose? Do you think that he could be a head coach one day? <clears throat> I think <laughs> I think two things. I was on this list, list last year, and I think 
it is a huge compliment because that means you're viewed as, as someone who could lead men. But I think it's also viewed as someone who wants to travel that much as a as an over 40 year old and, and really be a part of <laughs> basketball the same way you have your whole life, which is a, a huge commitment. But Jose is fiery. He loves mm-hmm. basketball. Um, he knows how to motivate people. He's self-motivated. He's smart and he's a point guard. So I think he could be a head coach. I don't know that he would want to do it. I think he would want to be around the game, but being head coach is a lot of responsibility, yeah. a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of different things come with being a head coach, but based on his personality, like he could definitely control a locker room, lead a locker room. Um, he could definitely give some dope uh, pregame speeches and things of that nature. So I think it's cool. That's a, that's a, a sign of respect that they see the growth in him. They see the maturity, a guy who, you know, went to school, got a degree, was defensive player of the year, was a ACC player of the year, undrafted and figured out a way to become a rotation guy in a, in a, in a big part of a, a team with playoff hopes and, and aspirations. So kudos to him. Not surprised about CP Mike. GT's Wait, you're not built- surprised about Chris Paul. Like I know he's arguably the, one of the smartest players in the NBA. But understanding Chris's temperament, like, do you really think he could be a head coach? I, or I want to be a, want to be a head coach? Could be want to be is completely different. Yes, but that's so. I guess that's he's my a basketball oh. junkie. So, like, the thing I is, guess make the best head coach. That's the question. It's not about. It says who would make the best head coach, not who yeah. would be one, which is really confusing. Right. Why I wouldn't be on here because I would be a great head coach, obviously. <laughs> but um, no, I think he would be good at it. I don't think that he would want to do it because. We've been around this. This is like year 18 or 19 for CP. You've been playing. Someone has been setting your schedule for you since you were seven years old. Oh, yeah. Literally. Travel, basketball, middle school, high school, college, NBA. Since you were seven, you've traveled. You've missed a lot of stuff throughout your life. And as a player, you have a lot of control. As a head coach, you don't have as much control. Your livelihood is is predicated upon the success or failure of the players around you. Players perform great. You look great. Players perform poorly. It looks like you didn't put them in a position to succeed. So that becomes difficult. And the turnover for coaches is is crazy. Uh, it's yeah. it's left and right getting fired. You've seen coaches be coach at the year and get fired the next season. So it's it's a tough position to, to, to just sign up for. So I, I think he would be good at it, but I don't know that he would want to do it. I think GT would be a great coach. Uh, on all accounts, Drew, Mike's well, well, well temperamented, knows the game. PG, I think he'd be a really, really good coach. Grant, Grant's got that politician in him. He could definitely be a coach. <laughs> Shout out to my guy, Grant. Smart, yes. knows the game, has played different roles. I think it's important. The coaches that have the most success. He's your VP, right? He is my VP. A good dude. <laughs> I just love hearing out of Dallas, just like Luca talking about how Grant just talks too much. Because <laughs> you just know. <laughs> Grant loves to, he loves to share things. Um, <laughs> really good human being. Really good. But I think a lot of, a lot of the guys on this list would be good coaches. They know the game. Joker would never be a coach. 
Like he, <laughs> it says. Yeah, Nicole. that that is probably like, like one of the what? most surprising. He does. He barely. I mean, one of the greatest players uh, in the league, but he barely wants to play in the NBA. He doesn't he, watch like, basketball at all. I couldn't no. imagine him watching film like on an off no, day to watch. No, he watches film. film of his horses. Yeah, he's just so naturally gifted. It's interesting to see his name on this <laughs> list. It's like, can you be a good coach if you just don't watch? It's just because film? they're smart. You know, it's like I feel like that's what it's based on. Like coming off of, yeah, he really is. He's just a he's just a prodigy. All right, CJ, um, we're going to try to close out the show the same way, kind of updating your fans um, and Pelican fans across the country. Who better to tell us what's going on than? you um in new orleans so we're gonna do a little segment we're calling the pelican brief now if you don't know this is you know from the 1993 thriller starring denzel and julia roberts i i i hope our listeners remember this movie (laughs) or they're like 1993 i was born 10 years later i mean i don't just look it up um you know or read the novel but uh basically we're just asking you to kind of Let's dive into some topics around uh, New Orleans and the Pelicans. And obviously, one of the biggest topics is how good Zion has looked this preseason. Um, you know, now that your preseason games have wrapped, what are your thoughts on just what he was able to do in the preseason? Yeah, I think he looked engaged, aggressive locked in in that last game and I think it's about ramping up right just talking about a guy who hasn't played you know live basketball in 10 months nine and a half months he got hurt uh what was it December 31st he got hurt basically New Year's Day and his first game was our first preseason game since that day and that was our first time playing together as a starting five since November of last year so it was important for him to get out there to get used to getting hit again, to get used to playing in space again, to get used to playing in, in, in crowds. And I thought he responded really well um, in that game in terms of, you know, being aggressive defensively, allowing that to kind of dictate his offense. I think he had six steals in 15 minutes, finished well around the basket. Drew Fout, I think he had eight free throws, seven or eight free throw attempts in 15 minutes, probably should have been 16 free throw attempts, but that's none of my business. Um, I really like what we're seeing from him, his attention to detail. We've been watching film. We've been really approaching this season with the right mindset off the court. And I think that's going to translate to to success on the court in terms of chemistry, in terms of camaraderie, in terms of understanding each other, the spacing where each other, where each person likes to exist at on the court, I think is extremely important. And then from an accountability standpoint, the better relationships you have, the easier it is for you to hold each other um accountable but all in all i like his approach i like the consistency in the in the pre-practice work um the things that you need to do to be successful as a professional consistently he's doing and i think that's what's you know really really important for us as a team and for him for his long-term health and his long-term success and ability to really be able to tap into you know his god-given meeting talent for him to maximize that, he's got to do the little things. And so far, he's been willing and able to do the little things consistently. And I think the results on the court will come, but it's about sustaining excellence on the court for long periods of time is, is what we'll need as a franchise. Can you clear something up for us, though? Um, 
you know, really Green made some headlines when he said they hadn't put any sets in for Zion after the Houston preseason game. Is that abnormal for the preseason for you guys, for Zion? Yeah. I would say every team is different. For us, we were more so working on spacing, tempo, flow, and defensive rotations um, just to get a better idea of how to play without calling plays. And I don't know. We got mixed results, obviously. We had a great first quarter against Orlando, and then we dropped some duds in the, in the games that kind of followed our great first half. I think we put up 70 points in the first half. And we didn't, we didn't run one play. We had no plays put in. We didn't put in a play until like the third, th- fourth game. Third game or fourth game, we started putting in half-court sets because we're already good at execution when someone tells us what to do. They want us to kind of figure out what to do when no one tells you what to do. Spacing, when to cut, when not to cut. Uh, pick and rolls, when to run a pick and roll, when to run a pin down. And now we have more structure. We're able to kind of communicate what we like, what we don't like. We have some half court sets we can execute and we can kind of build on that foundation. But I think a lot of teams have different approaches. But for us, we know we can run sets. We know who to get the ball to, where in those sets. It was more about figuring out the freedom and the creative play um, and how that's going to work into the offense when we're not calling plays. But that's also why we looked poorly on offense at times because we didn't have any sets in at all. <laughs> we had one out-of-bounds play and, and no half-court sets for three games. Well, it's about like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, you know, like you said, six days to kind of work through some more things. Um, we're... Hoping to have uh, another show before the your your first regular season game on you know October twenty fifth at Memphis. But if you could just give us just a general sense of your expectations for the season, you've said it. You know it, you're part of a, a really difficult uh, um, Western Conference, a lot of talent across the league. Um, where do you think you guys stand, and how how do you think you're going to come out of the gates? We're going to come out of the gate swinging, that's for sure. Um, there's a lot of talented teams we're going to face, a lot of teams with depth. Obviously, Memphis is one of them. They're going to be missing Ja. It's, it's ironic. He'll make his season debut against us. I think that'll be a TV game later in the season. Hmm. Um, mark your calendars for that one. But I think for us, it's about consistency. It's about health. It's about execution. And it's about uh, really just finishing games. The difference between you know 45 to 50 wins is late game execution and health. So being able to keep games close is important, but also being able to execute down the stretch will be extremely important. I got to keep my turnovers down. We got to be efficient with our movements on the court. We got to be efficient offensively, but more importantly, we got to be locked in and really, really be able to communicate defensively. But expectations for us is to make the playoffs and have a home game in the playoffs to start our, our postseason. We don't want to be in the playing game. We don't want to be going through those those difficulties that come with lack of execution earlier in the season. We, you know, too many bad losses, too many home losses. All those things can be detrimental to your postseason success or put you in a tough position where you're playing in games you should be resting in down the stretch of the season. Well, I know I'm ready for the regular season to start. I'm sure you are very much ready for it to just get going. I am. Um, any last thoughts? My last thoughts are as a as a basketball player and, and fan, this is one of the fun times of the year where everybody seems to be optimistic, right? Um, no bad losses, no great wins, no terrific road trips. Most teams are, are reasonably healthy. Um, we got some holidays coming up with with – 
Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And it's funny because during those holidays, there are pivotal points in the season where mm-hmm. they mark, you know, maybe it's 20 something games in, and then maybe it's almost halfway when you get to Christmas where you're starting to really see what your team is made of. You're starting to see trends. Younger players are starting to get more experience and more exposure and rotations are, are finally starting to be settled in. So I'm just looking forward to a great season. I can't wait to play in the Smoothie King Center. I can't wait for fans to be able to see us healthy for more than 10 games. Uh, I'm just looking forward to just really being able to compete for the city, really being able to to show what we have to offer and to show all the work that goes into us players preparing for games on a nightly basis and a daily basis that fans don't get to see. I'm hoping that they can, they can get to see our full product consistently this season. And so I'm just I'm just really excited about being able to play basketball and really just being able to chill on off days and, and watch competitive games. Um, and I'm excited for maybe getting some, you know, uh, Marriott points because, uh, you know, are you listening, uh, Ritz Carlton in Orlando? You know, you, you owe my guy something after the terrible internet is all I'm going to say. Uh, that's my conclusion. I'll take some points too because we, you know, we all suffered from, <laughs> from that terrible. Let's our- go. It's 2023. <laughs> like get your internet together. I'm just glad we got through this with 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 perfect internet. Thank you, home internet. Um, and we'll be back with you again next week uh, as we have our final final preview of the regular season because we're about to get into some real games and I can't wait. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 